You're listening to The Wise Woman Podcast, Episode 8. I'm your host, Alicia Wilfert, founder of Yoke and Abundance, a leadership, life, and creativity coaching business. This podcast is designed to inspire by introducing you to creative women living abundantly. I hope you'll savor Betsy's words of wisdom as much as I have. It's with great pleasure that I get to introduce you to my dear friend and adventure partner, Betsy Bertram. To say there is no one else in the world like Betsy would be an understatement. This brilliant woman is listening to her internal compass on a level I don't see in many people. She's forging her own path in work, art, and play while valuing relationships above all else. Betsy embodies her core values. Listening back over our interview, I got excited to share her wisdom on living in the moment, believing you're a miracle, and going against the grain with big life choices with all of you. I'm delighted to share the deep old soul wisdom Betsy exudes in everything she does. If you didn't get enough Betsy in this short interview, you can join Betsy and I in Beaufort, North Carolina at the end of October for our retreat Cultivating Creativity Seaside. In this small boutique style retreat, you'll be sure to catch more of Betsy's deep wisdom and the excitement and passion she carries into everything she does. There are still a few early bird spots available. Now, a word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Emerge Skin Therapy. Last week, I told you how much I love Azalea's results-focused skincare treatments and what a great job she does educating her clients so that they have a deeper connection with their own personal skincare needs. But I didn't want you to just have to take my word for it, so I asked Azalea if she could introduce me to other clients who also love Emerge Skin Therapy. And Azalea paired me up with her client, Marie Wood, who's been working with Azalea for almost five years. Here's what Marie had to say. I love going to Azalea um, first for facials. She's the only one I trust with my skincare. And as of the last two years, I've been going um, to her for um, energy healing, Reiki healing. The Reiki healing experience that I've had with Azalea has proven to be very calming for me and very relaxing for me. Azalea, I feel like, is very intentional with um, her schooling and then um, with her practice. I know that when I go to see Azalea that she has put, she's just put 100% of her knowledge and her energy into my healing or my skincare healing or my body healing. And, um, and she's wonderful to give feedback. Marie and I are both confident you will love the ladies at Emerge Skin Therapy as much as we do. Visit EmergeSkinTherapy.com and mention the Yoke and Abundance Wise Woman podcast for 10% off your next service. Betsy Bertram. Good How, morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Excellent. So... You and I have been friends for almost a year, and we met under some pretty magical circumstances up in Omega at a women's leadership retreat in Rhinebeck, New York, and it turned out we had all of these similar friends and connections. 
and I was immediately drawn to you. From the moment I met you, it just felt like we were supposed to be friends. And since then, you and I have been going on some pretty interesting adventures. Lots of awesome adventures yeah. from camping to beach trips to business partnerships to swamp kayaking. <laughs> yes. And you are a second generation family business owner. And one of the things that I've heard you say is that you want to run your business in a, from a values-based perspective. And that's something that really struck a chord in me from the beginning. And I'm wondering if you can tell the listeners what that means to you. So when my parents started Townsend Bertram and Company Adventure Outfitters shop in Carborough, North Carolina in 1988, they saw the shop more as an entity of the community than simply a retail business. And that's a vision I really want to carry forward and one that I share with my business partners who are stepping into the next 30 years of business with me and figuring out how we can continue to expand on that community model by offering more events and programming and adventure programs for the community. I think what doing a values-based business looks like on a day-to-day is making every decision from the tiny decisions to the huge decisions from the place of what are your core values. And we spent a lot of time solidifying those and really asking ourselves, how do we want to do business? And our core values are adventure, community, and passion. And it's with those three things that we decide how we show up on a day-to-day basis and how we plan for what we want our business to look like in the coming years. Can you give me an example of a big way that those values impact your business? We make all of our buying decisions based on those values and based on sustainability, which though it's not listed as a core value is definitely something that directs a lot of our decision making. So in terms of what brands we carry in the shop, what companies we decide to do business with, that guides a lot of that. Um, Are the people behind the brand passionate? Is the brand dedicated to making adventure accessible to all people? Is the brand invested in not just our community, but the larger community of the environment that we all share, this common ground that we all live on and come together on an adventure in? And if a brand isn't living up to those core values, we decide not to carry them, which really shapes the culture in the shop. Um, An example is we had one of our team members read an article about a company that we carried whose parent company invested in assault rifles. And based on that article, even though it was the parent company and not the company that we carried itself, that same day that our team member emailed me about it, I emailed the representative from the company and just dropped them as a company. Mm -hmm. So we act quickly and swiftly when any brand that we carry isn't living up to the values that we hold true to ourselves. So, well, Thank you for sharing that. You know, as a second generation business owner, I know that 
second generation businesses often fail with the second generation. And so that can be a lot of weight on the shoulders of the children of those that have started these successful businesses. So you are beginning to carry on a legacy and you, I know this year is your 30th year in business and you are moving forward. And I'm wondering what is the scariest piece of being a part of a second generation business and what are you most excited about? I'll start with the positive. It's how I orient myself and it that comes to mind first. One huge way that I feel I'm mitigating a lot of my fears and also setting the business up for success is by bringing on partners. And a lot of people warned me against that and talked about how in family business and in small business partnerships can be really challenging and to me it's always felt like the right decision because not only do they offer me a huge amount of support but they bring a unique perspective on the business and are not as even though they are they feel like family and their family in the larger sense they're not as close to it and i think having people who help give perspective and help bring a fresh look and new ideas and can zoom out is super important and i feel like that's the part that i'm most excited about is those partnerships with my business partners taylor and sarah not only do we work amazingly well together but we share a vision and it feels possible with the two of them versus trying to carry on a business and grow it and change it and evolve as our world evolves um, on my own. So I'm really excited about growing those partnerships and seeing what happens with the store and what changes come about based on how our world changes and how shopping changes and how consumer culture changes. As far as fear, I think we're at a really interesting time in consumer culture right now where you know, when my parents opened the shop in 1988, there was no Amazon, there was no internet ordering. And that's definitely the biggest fear of our industry as a whole. I don't feel that fear as much because we are thankfully in a community where everyone understands the value of shopping local and investing in local businesses that are doing good in the community and I think my biggest fear is questioning how we will make experience driven business successful as we add that to what TBNC offers and what TBNC means so more trips programs and those programming pieces right now all of that's free and it's amazing and I'm also figuring out how that's going to support the shop from a revenue standpoint thank you so Betsy, you know one of the things we do on this podcast is share animal spirit cards. Would you like an animal spirit card this morning? Yes. All right. And do you want to tell the audience what you love about animal spirit cards? We've done these many times in the one-on-one -on -one coaching that I did with you and then on several of our adventures. I think what's great about the animal spirit cards is it's an access point to talking about and contemplating 
what are the challenges and gifts coming up in my life in the current moment and whether or not the card speaks directly to the moment it always brings to light whatever the things are that I'm working on in my life. Yeah. You want to put your hands on the cards and take a couple big deep breaths. And then whenever you're ready, just cut the deck into three piles. And then flip over whichever card you'd like. The dolphin, have you gotten the dolphin before? I've never gotten the dolphin, and I always, when people ask, what is your spirit animal? That's a question that sometimes comes up. I always say dolphin, so I feel like this card is gonna be epic. It's funny because I think in the last three podcasts that have gone out, the dolphin has been the one that the interviewee has got, which is really fascinating to me. Um, these, these interviews have been done all at different times, but I know that um, Jasmine Comer got a dolphin, you're getting a dolphin, somebody else got a dolphin recently, so there might be something with the interview energy, but the dolphins are creatures of the water, and creatures of the water represent our emotional world, and they are, they point to relationships, love, boundaries, creativity, and our flow. So when the water is crystal clear, we know it in our hearts is basically what it says. And the dolphin itself is really fascinating because it is, I'm just gonna read this to you, what the dolphin says. Innately intelligent healer, light, blessings. The gift of the dolphin are beyond what our human minds can grasp. Dolphin personalities are drawn to the healing arts and are sensitive to the subtle and enjoy working on the level of spirit. It's easy for dolphin types to underestimate the impact they make in the world. These creatures play such an important role in the wheel of karma that coming in contact with a dolphin type will change the entire course of your day and thus your life. This card can also indicate a profound blessing is on the way. When in balance, active healer, strong spiritual practice. When out of balance, underestimates own power to bring into balance like-minded spirits. How does that land? Very spot on for a lot of the things that I am dealing with in my life right now. I definitely feel like I am with a kindred spirit in this moment. Yes. And I think like Anna Green Gable style. Only I know that you have never read Anna Green Gables. It's funny though that has come up a couple of times recently that phrase. And I think the dolphin card, what it really speaks to in my personal life right now is that I need to make sure I create time for the healing arts and focus on the subtle joys of life. Um, and definitely to stop underestimating my own impact and my ability to navigate in the world. I think it's, I think it's an epidemic in our universe right now that transcends cultures, this concept of self-worth and, and knowing that who I am is enough and not what I do or accomplishment. Yes. And I think that that's something that's really easy to hide behind and, so again, the animal spirit cards are fun 
but the more important thing that they do is they invite a conversation about what are the things that are going on below the surface. Yes. And Betsy, I want to shift gears slightly, but not not entirely. So you touched on the idea of a kindred spirit. And I know that you and your dad were extraordinarily close. Like you and your dad were kindred spirits, like probably the closest that you can get to a true soulmate on this earth seemed like the type of relationship that you and your dad had. Not that I'd never met your father, but from all the things that you told me, that's what it sounds like that you were two peas in a pod and um, in the greater pot of your family even. Um, and your dad passed away last year and because you two were so close, I'm curious what his physical passing, how that impacted you and how it's changed the way you're living your life right now. My dad knew that he was dying. He had cancer and the gift that comes with being aware of how short your time is on earth is it creates an immediacy to life. and. I was spending so much time with him that I felt that vibration and that heightened sense of awareness that he had. The most powerful thing that I can remember that affected me deeply as I was spending a lot of time with him in his last few months and is something that guides me regularly now after his passing is every time we would go outside, he would look up at the sky and say, I'm never going to see the sky like this again. And I realized I'm not either, and none of us are. And life is fleeting even when you don't know when your end date is. And we talk about cancer and we give this diagnosis of terminal when the truth is we're all terminal. and. Being so close to death at a young age, I'm 26 years old, and I was 25 when my dad died, having that experience at this age and this time in my life has totally shifted what I value. I value time over money. I value my relationships over my accomplishments. I value how I show up on a day-to-day basis. and. I walk outside and I make sure to look up at that sky and think about that and think about how we might think we have forever and we might have a desire to push off the bigger asks that the universe wants for us, the callings that we have that go beyond our day-to-day jobs and the day-to-day tasks that we all have to do, laundry, dishes, house cleaning, going to the store. And I feel that sense of immediacy to do the things that I know I am meant to do while I am on this planet. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And because you and your dad were so close, you recently spent some time at a treatment center for grief. And in the beginning, I know that it was really important for you that you didn't want, you didn't want to share that. And then something shifted for you where you decided that you did want to talk about this experience that you'd had where you spent a month in a treatment center for grief and, um, and disordered eating. And I'm wondering what changed your mind 
about sharing that with the world and being okay with talking about it? I went into that experience with a lot of shame and guilt around the heaviness of sadness that I was feeling and the effect that it had on my confidence, my ability to navigate and do the daily tasks necessary of life and the energy needed to do the bigger things that I strive towards. And I realized during that 30-day program of processing the loss of my father and diving beyond the surface of my disordered eating and dealing with the body image issues that I think so many women face in our culture on some level. All of us. And I realized that it is all of us. And I don't want to not tell my story because of shame and guilt and continue to perpetuate a cycle of shame around the feelings that we feel and the anxiety that comes up around the way our bodies look and what we've eaten and what we haven't eaten and how much I've exercised or how much I haven't and comparison mindset and the level of self-judgment I was putting on myself about my grief process and that I think all of us put on ourselves about something in our lives that's a challenge and it can be a big challenge or a small challenge and I realized that as long as I wasn't telling my story I was helping perpetuate something Mm. that is devastating to me in our culture and I think by sharing my story that is my way of helping shift the paradigm and helping other women tell their stories and opening up this conversation of let's go deeper let's be open about the struggles that we have around the way that we look and the way that people perceive us and the even bigger question of how we perceive ourselves. And I also think that grief is one of the most difficult journeys to navigate and death is still such a taboo subject in our culture, yet it is the one thing that we will all experience and that we will all experience through the loss of people we love. And if I can share my story and it can help one person, that's enough for me. Yes. Yes. Do you have a takeaway, a short takeaway from that experience in Arizona at the treatment center? If you could sum up your time there, how would you sum it up? You're a miracle. Every single person is a miracle. And if you can wake up and just to be able to get out of bed and to walk and to breathe fresh air and to take in the world around you. And once you recognize that you're a miracle, you begin to see all the other miracles in life, the miracles in the people around you and the big and small miracles in the universe, a hummingbird at the feeder, a beautiful sunset, a tree that is spectacular. Um, When you drive into the grief treatment center, there is a sign that says expect a miracle. And when you drive out, 
on the back of the sign from a different entrance, it says you are a miracle. And it sounds cheesy when you say it out loud and when you really think about it and you think about all the things that your body does for you without you even asking it to, you really begin to see that it's a gift just to have a functioning human body. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really beautiful. I'm wondering if, you know, you are such a multi-talented person. Thank you. You're welcome. You, you're a writer. You're a keen business person. You have a talent for marketing. You are a yoga instructor. You're a kiteboarder. And I watched the way you prioritize and value friendships and relationships, just like you were talking about. I see you live those values on a day-to-day basis. I'm wondering how do you fit all of those things in? Like, how are you actually able to juggle all of those things? I ask myself the same question on a regular basis. (laughs) (laughs) Can you give any advice to those multi-passionate entrepreneurs and multi-passionate creatives out there on, on how to juggle all of the things that they do? The two things that have helped me the most is recognizing the power of saying no so that I can say yes to the things I want to say yes to. And it's something that I really struggle with. And one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten in the last year is no is a complete sentence. And I am a person who does get excited about so many things and have multifaceted interests. And what I've realized is that no really is the permission to be able to say yes to the things that I value the most. And the second piece of it is I love having a paper planner. Preach. And it's powerful to use the pen and to look at a week at a time. And I try to hold space on Sunday night to look at the whole week and see if the things that are on the calendar do reflect those values. Am I spending time with people who fill me up? Am I holding space for the self-care practices that ground and restore me? Yoga, walking, being in nature, taking a run, those types of things. Am I setting aside enough time for concentrated work so that I don't have anxiety around getting everything done? Yes. And am I leaving little spaces to have those times to recognize the miracles around me? Because what I've found is when... I get super busy and it's easy to do. And I often still have weeks where I recognize the schedule was too full. I didn't have space. I'm exhausted because there wasn't enough time for sleep. When those weeks happen, I don't have as much time to recognize the beauty in the sky. There's a quote that I often return to around, there is no joy in rushing. When we rush, there is no space. and. I am still working hard on how to slow myself down and how to 
not have a sense of immediacy around getting the things done, but rather have the sense of immediacy around what it means to live a meaningful life. Yes, thank you for sharing that. Okay, one of the things that I think is the most fascinating about you is your internal compass and how you seem to be able to find north in whatever chaos you find yourself in because of your multi-passionate creative life. And one of the things that I didn't learn about you until later in our friendship in this past year was that you didn't finish college. You are extremely brilliant and you went out to a pretty, what school was it on the West Coast? Occidental College. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty difficult school to get into and your compass told you that it wasn't the right place for you and you decided to quit college and that that wasn't your path and I'm curious how I really want to know how you were able to align with that. How did you figure out that that wasn't right for you? And when you see all of your peers taking this path, how were you able to say, this is not my path and, I, and, and find that courage and belief to chart your own? It's a great question because I think one of the hardest things in life is to go against the grain and to not have fear around not accomplishing the steps that society says you need to do to reach success, which is an undefined concept anyway, right? And it requires me to back up to answer that question to high school to explain the person that I was. I completely based my value around my ability to succeed academically and strived and pushed myself and I was third in the class and made straight A's and did the International Baccalaureate program and my identity was as a student and as an academic and my whole high school career was focused on getting into a good college. And also in high school, I was in a really terrifying car accident when I was 16 where my car went into a river and me and three other friends were trapped in the car. It was filled with water. And thankfully, we had friends who were following us who saw our car go into the river and one out of the three people in the car behind us flew down the embankment, found the door underwater, got it open, and somehow pulled us all out. And it was such a traumatic event, and I'm grateful that my mom got me into trauma counseling after that, and I was able to process that so that it doesn't affect my ability to navigate on a daily basis. And I think that leaving college was a latent reaction to that experience. I think that it was such a big thing to go through at 16 years old when you're figuring out who you are and you know I was in high school and had a very full schedule and ran cross country and was at school at an hour before it started every day to run the clubs that I was a part of and was achieving and pushing and going and all of those things and college was easy after that high school schedule and rigor of the International Baccalaureate program and I had space to think and to feel and 
I remember coming home from Los Angeles where Occidental College is you know, for summer vacation and I remember having this realization of that's not who I am and thinking back to the accident and remembering that even when we're young everything can change in a second yes and leaving college was I really do believe a latent reaction to that near-death experience that I had at such a young age and realizing I need to do what feels right to me and I need to trust that the intelligence that is inside me will not be dampened by me not pursuing an academic path and I started to ask myself this question what else could I be good at if I applied even half the amount of time, energy, and effort that I did to school to anything else? And that was really what inspired me to go to yoga teacher training and kiteboarding instructor training, which were two of my life dreams, because I thought maybe I could be good at those things too. And leaving college was about pursuing the other areas of interest in my life that I had set aside less and less and less time for in order to achieve academically. And it was about living from a place of authenticity rather than living from a place of seeking success from other people's definition of that word. Yes. What advice could you give to somebody that has this inclination that they might need to go against the grain? Even maybe it's in a small way or maybe it's in a way that's as big as deciding not to continue on in a traditional college program or a PhD program or, you know, just feeling like they're jumping through hoops to be jumping through hoops. I mean, but they know that there's something greater they can feel that seed within them what would you what advice would you give somebody that's in that spot trust yourself and how do we do that how do we trust ourselves there is no golden ticket for that and it's something that i still struggle with every day and it takes constant practice. I think in our culture today, especially, we want instant gratification. We want that one quick minute answer to these big, big questions in life. And trusting yourself is about creating space to be able to ask not all the people in your life, even the people who are really close to me and who I love and I value, knowing that I am making the best decision for me requires getting quiet and holding space to explore what is it that is going to best serve me. And sometimes that is going with the grain. And I had a great experience at Occidental College from an academic standpoint. While I didn't enjoy the social atmosphere of college, the academics were amazing and sometimes going with the grain is what's best for you and if you're someone who wants to go against the grain it's about trusting yourself to know that that choice is what's best for you and that is going to help you live your best life and that is going to help you be an authentic human being and I have found that authenticity is the number one thing that 
brings me success in life and recognition and the relationships I want to have and whatever we embody we attract and so what I have found what's really interesting is once I made the decision to go against the grain I have all of these amazing people in my community that have made similar choices in big and small ways in their life and surrounding yourself with people who are going to support you and be cheerleaders for you is a super important thing if you want to go against the grain. Yes. And you just talked about authenticity. And, you know, there was a time in my life where I would hear a lot of different speakers or listen to different podcasts. And I would hear people say, be authentic. Like, be authentic. Be authentic. And I remember asking myself, but what the hell does that mean? What does it mean to be authentic? And... You know, it's taken me a little while to figure out and define what that means for me, but I'm, I'm wondering what does that mean for you to be authentic? To me, authenticity is when my words, thoughts, and actions are in alignment. And when I am... In alignment with what? Each other. So when what I'm thinking and what I'm saying and what I'm doing are a continuous thread and when I am acting from a place of inner wisdom and not outer pressure. Yes. And when I am being honest with myself and the people in my life. Yes. Can you share, you know, you are an extremely creative person. I mean, you, every day draw a mandala and you draw a mandala to reflect what you've done that day. I mean, that's just one small thing that you do on a daily basis. I know you also love morning pages as much as I do and you write all of these different things. What keeps you creating when you don't feel like it? Sometimes I break, to be honest. I think that as a creative being, it is important to recognize when sometimes shifting and recognizing creativity in the world. So sometimes when I don't feel like creating, I put myself in nature and I look at all of the things that nature is creating. And I let that re-inspire me to go back to the writing, to go back to my practice of mandala drawing and sometimes it's about shifting my definition of creativity to remember that everything in life can be creative if I go into it with that intention. Yes. What's a project that you are working on right now that you're really excited about? I'm really excited about the film I am making about my dad, a local documentary filmmaker Matt Cheney reached out to me a year after my father had passed away talking about the impact that my dad had made on his life. Matt worked at Townsend Bertram and Company back in the day when my parents were running the store and I was a little kid, about eight years old or so. And he talked about how the world needs to have an example of what it means to truly live 
and more importantly, how to die with grace and humility. And little did Matt know that I've been working on a book about my dad, which is another project I'm excited about. And the reason that one didn't come up when you ask that question is it's also one I'm really struggling with and feeling stuck in. And when Matt reached out to me about the film, it really helped shift the energy around that. And I think one of the reasons that the book is difficult for me is I love co-creating and I love partnership in the sense of coming together to create something amazing with someone else. And it's been such a pleasure and an honor to work with Matt and to see how he takes all of this incredible footage that my dad took in the last years of his life and then back when he was my age on an eight millimeter camera film piece and to see this all come together and to see my dad's wisdom and to feel the closeness of his spirit through this project has been inspiring and rewarding and really fun. That's great. Well, is there a yoga pose that you really love? Do you have a favorite yoga pose? I really enjoy fire logs because my hips are extremely tight and when I am doing fire logs, which is a intense hip opening pose. And what that is, is basically you're sitting crisscross applesauce, but your legs are, your shin is parallel to the top of your mat, right? One on top of the other. Honestly, when you just said that, I thought, oh my God, I can't think of a more painful yoga posture. <laughs> but what do you love about it? What I love about it is it brings me into the present moment. and. I've been doing yoga now for oh, 13 years. I was gonna say 12 years, it's been 13 years now. And a lot of the poses I know so well that it is harder to stay present because my body remembers the posture. And in fire logs, because of the tightness in my hips and IT bands, I feel so alive and I've been really shifting from even I was just reflecting as I said it out loud tightness and trying to find other words to describe things that feel that way and so instead of saying it's a very intense pose and it's painful it's actually a pose that is bringing me into the present because I feel so much sensation yes. and it's through sensation and through being able to recognize sensation in my body that I'm able to be more present. So that's why it's one of my favorite postures because it is an access point into deeper awareness for me. Yes. And Betsy, how do you live a life of abundance? I surround myself with people I really love and people who reflect the values that I have and who want to co-create and bring more light into the universe. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Thank you so much for bringing wise women together and bringing their wisdom out into the world. I hope you were inspired by Betsy's words of wisdom. If you've enjoyed this podcast, head over to iTunes, give us a review, and then remember, sharing is caring. So please share this podcast with a friend. 
who do you know that could use a dose of inspiration and wisdom? When you share this podcast, it makes it possible for us to keep bringing wise words your way. Check out our website, yokeandabundance.com, for more words of wisdom, creativity tips, and information about my group and individual coaching programs. Tell us about your wise moments this week. When did you feel most wise? Tag us on Instagram with your wise moment for a chance to have your word shared on this podcast. Use the hashtag IamWise and hashtag YokeAndAbundance. Jess B. Moore, author Jess B. said, Submitted my incomplete manuscript to my publisher and impatiently await their response. Kick in the rear I needed to get back to writing and finish the sequel to The Guilt of a Sparrow. A huge thank you to our sponsor, Emerge Skin Therapy, and my wonderful editor and producer, Ira Sterling at Julia Sound Recordings. Remember, every one of us has wisdom within. Keep sharing your words of wisdom because you never know who you'll inspire.